Welcome to Bootstrapped. I'm Ian Landsman, joined as always with Andre Butov of Antair. And this week we have a special guest, Chase Clemens, from the support team at 37 Signals. Uh, We're actually doing something a little different this week. We're going to simulcast this podcast across both the Bootstrap podcast as well as Chase's Support Ops podcast um, that you can get over at supportops.co. And uh, so it's going to be interesting. We're going to talk about Bootstrap customer service, a lot of uh, different angles to that and different challenges there, obviously. So uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time on that here. We did want to open up, though. Open up. Well, first of all, welcome, Chase. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for coming on uh, to our our meager, humble little abode here on the podcast internet. You say meager, but I keep seeing more and more references to it. So you're doing something right. (laughs) Yeah, I know. People like it. I don't know. We're not sure why, but, but we're happy they do and people appear to be getting something out i think of it, it's so. me i'm the best I, I do think it is i think it's mostly entertainment value of andre's <laughs> ranting thing it's like 90 percent rantings and entertainment and 10 percent useful information but that's I, how I, like I bring it. the kramer and the george costanza <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and i'm seinfeld we were actually just talking about the soft air so perfect that makes chase um, elaine which is not right oh wait that's not good mm. that's okay. i like it too much, so that's right all right um all right, so but before we get into the meat of what this podcast will be about, uh, we have to talk a little bit about UberDeck, um, since you know anybody who's been listening for a while is aware. Andre's been diligently working on UberDeck. He got a little distracted there a couple weeks ago with some little mobile app stuff, but he's back on course. And this week he uh, he released it. So Andre, let's give give us the rundown of release day and. Leading up to it, how you made out? Um, well, if you're going to talk about distractions, I was actually distracted for about a year doing a big-ass <laughs> consulting project. Oh, that's true. Um, so, yeah, Essential Voice Recorder, that was the mobile app that I released, sure. I guess, uh, a couple of weeks back. And that was just a mobile app, and that's all I'm going to say about it, because it's now, like, number 23 in a big pile, some of which I don't remember anymore. Um, we know next week we're going to get into that big more, but I'm we are this week. We are next week. We have a guest this week. We're going to keep it tight, but next week we're going to talk about that. next week. I'm going to forget about what, what it's called and what it yeah. does. And I don't even care. It's just a mobile. That's all a problem. Do you see? That's not a problem. <laughs> this is what, why we have to talk about it. But anyway, uh, we're how many of these that. things I have. Week. People will will have that to look forward to. So. I released that because that was all, almost complete before I got back uh, off of the client project. So I just needed to finish that up and release that. Like, I had to finish up a bunch of these mobile apps because we got hit with a literally, I'm not exaggerating, a five-figure vet bill last week. And we were already like dying from, from uh, uh, cash hemorrhage around here. And uh, this is not helping. So I needed to infuse a little bit of like quick revenue out of some new apps. Um, so that's Did it what work? They, no, of course not. It's probably not going to just start selling. No, nah, like, you know, but it brings in. It, it adds to the little hourglass of revenue and that makes everybody feel better. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so UberDeck, I was actually, actually announced it today, but it was released uh, Sunday afternoon. 
silently. I release all my things silently because I kind of like to sit back on my little imaginary throne and say, there it goes. And now I take a respite and pet my dog and not worry about anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, you know what it is really? It, 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 it's an excuse to tell myself that, that I say, I'm going to release it and I don't want to make a big deal out of it and I just want to do a silent release. But in reality, the reason you release it silently and not tell anybody for a while is that um, uh, as long as it's not released, <laughs> uh, you don't feel so bad about nobody buying it. <laughs> but once it's out there, you have no excuse. And you got to stop worrying about why is it not making the sales and why is it not getting signups. So yeah. it's almost like uh, a self-delusion type of a thing to, to say I'm going to just release it silently and not talk about it. But whatever, it's out. And I got a whole bunch of retweets. Thanks, everybody, for the retweets. Everybody from the forum and, and uh, the podcast listeners retweeted it and uh, got a bunch of sign-ups, so that's great. Obviously, I won't know how it's doing until it has like a learn a learning thing and the steep integration thing. It's not like the sort of thing where everybody just signs up and I get the, the dollars on the bank right away. But uh, my wife, Victoria, finished the front website, Quark, code name. Yeah. And then I finished DS9. Yeah, um, a ton of uh, um, sort of last-minute infrastructure changes, like an entire oval overhaul. Um, well, it's technical stuff. I don't know if we should get into it or not. But give us um, the, give us the bite-sized chunks because there's a lot of technical folks who listen. So initially, so initially the client, initially the client server, the server component that, that accepts uh, connections from the mobile apps. Right. Um, that was a separate entity, and uh, I, it was a case of very premature optimization, where I decided to say, you know, the main the main app is going to be Laravel because I want that framework behind it. But this guy, this guy is, should be really tight. Is going to be accepting like millions of connections, and I want it to be like a, the tightest possible PHP loop I could get. Right. So it's raw. PHP is, you know, you can't really say PHP is low level like C, but as down low as PHP could get. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> towards the end, we're actually started to implement uh, pricing. You think pricing, pricing and billing is like isolated, but it permeates through everything. It like touches everything. Because right? yeah. it's not just pricing, it's the logic guarded by the pricing. So that goes across the entire app. So because of that, a lot of the code changes for pricing had to go into... Uh, sort of like the, the the gatekeeper logic of uh, uh, this this guy sitting in the front accepting client connections from the apps, and I'm looking at this thing. About ninety percent of it is is duplicated code that's already in the Laravel app, but it's here as well because it needs to have the same uh, SQL statements accessing the same stuff. It, it just yeah. shares a lot of it. So I said, just fuck it. Um, just I just took it out of its own dedicated um, module and I put it as a controller in uh, Laravel. I didn't really see any speed uh, uh, hits on that. So nah. it was really a case of uh, premature optimization there. And yeah. it really saved a lot of just uh, that entire uh, custom code base went down from 1200 lines of code to like 75 lines of code. <laughs> so. Yeah, now Laravel's really fast. And at this point, I think the only reason to ever, like, if you were needed to optimize that, which someday you might, like, if it gets super busy, let's just say, I mean, even then, well, first of all, obviously it'd be easy to spin up more servers, but even if that, if you want to really get optimizing, you know, serious optimizations, like, 
you can't even do that in PHP at that point. You know, you're gonna have to like you can just write it and see or whatever, and mm-hmm. really go all the way down to the metal. But not, you know, I mean, that's how you're gonna really get the big difference because you know, these days it's it's all pretty fast. Yeah. So um, so that's one big change. It was significant. It was essentially a third of, an, of the whole effort just scrapped and integrated into the main thing, and then a whole bunch of other things like. Uh, Pricing was implemented. We finally, kind of after the whole dance with what the pricing is going to look like, pretty basic pricing. It's, um, you get the various levels of uh, it's paper campaign right now because I actually started implementing paper campaign and monthlies, mm. but the monthlies turns out to take like four times the effort, mostly mm-hmm. in testing and everything of of the paper campaign so i just threw out paper campaign first and then i'll add monthlies later but it's pretty basic set number of dollars per max recipients per campaign plus a free yeah, option pretty, and you got like tiers there so right plus a free option for people who just want to try it out just a text campaign one per month uh, up to a certain number of recipients um what else did we do? Stripe was fantastic to the point where I'm actually uh, thinking about getting rid of authorized.net and um, my merchant account altogether. But that's a discussion for another episode, I think. Yeah. Um, no, that, yeah, but Stripe is good to work with. I mean, it has its own little niggles, but uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, obviously, compared to authorized.net, it's, you know, no comparison there. Yeah, so... Uh, uh, I mean, if anybody wants me to talk about in detail all the other technical stuff, uh, when we don't have a guest on, then I'll talk about it in a later episode. Just let me know. And yeah, but sure. otherwise, the release went fine. Nothing broke. A couple of uh, uh, misspellings here and there that are fixed up. It has to be done because when the release is two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, there have to be misspellings. You can't have a clean release. It's impossible. <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I had a, I had one misspelling and one broken link, which is like a canonical release. Yeah, that's no, that's like doesn't even count as a problem, really. That's like, I mean, I get like people emailing yeah, us with misspellings on like deep weird pages, you know, for a site that's been up for like six years now. So yeah, that happens. Sometimes so, miss those things. Uberdeck is out. The little mobile app is out, and now I get to. Um, after eight years of running my company, I got to become a, a novice again and try to figure out how to market something that's not a mobile app for the first well, time. And you know what's interesting? So this will I will segue us in here because you're going to have to be providing some legit support now. None of that mobile support. You kind of got you know you you were big into the support and then you kind of you know as the mobile markets change, you're a little bit fuzzier on the support. This is going to require a real legit support by. Uh, Fighting well, so. yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll tell you what, what um, if, if there's a difference once I start getting some support, if there's sure. a difference between the kind of extortion, build this, or I'll give you one star rating. It should be better. Self-entitled be better. nonsense and the actual sort of developers who uh, more or less know what they're doing, asking how to do this or that with UberX, so... So this is good that we have Chase here because that, that's a good question for him because he uh, obviously works in a little bit bigger shop than than us. Like, do you see a lot of that kind of thing, Chase? Where like you know Andre gets a lot of support that's like you know do this feature, we're gonna one star you, or and you guys have some mobile apps that you do support. Right? I think Thirty Seven Signals has a mobile app or two now that's uh, from from direct from you guys. So do you uh, do you support those and do you get that kind of thing as well? Yeah, so when it comes to mobile apps, it's a it's a weird little world out there, right? Um, iTunes doesn't give you the the i 
the Apple Store App Store doesn't give you a way to actually talk with people that leave those kind of reviews. Um, so it, it's definitely a challenge. When we released the Basecamp mobile app, uh, there was definitely uh, several customers in there that let us know quickly, hey, we're rating you a one-star or a two-star because it can't do this, it can't do that, and I'm sad, so I'm going to cry about it. Right. And, and you're kind of stuck, right? You don't know who they are. You, you can't reach out to them and say, hey, you know, that's something that we're thinking about for the next, uh, you know, the next version of the app, the next update to it. But, yeah. I, you know, overall, it's kind of, I hate to say it, but you're stuck in this no man's land, which is why I'm glad we only have one mobile app in the app store right, right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's rough. Do you get um, one of the things I know Andre's experience is like people reaching out through the regular support channel and still insisting or using as a threat the threat of one star review. Yeah, here, here's one. Here's one for you, Chase. Just last week, I got somebody uh, emailing me and said, uh, "I bought this ninety nine cent app f- from you, and this is was." This was of uh, one of the Android platforms, uh, Nook or something. I bought this ninety nine cent app from you. But I bought it on the computer, and my router doesn't work. So I demand that you help me fix my router so I could download this thing, or else I'll give you a one-star rating. <laughs> that is – wow. Um, no, thankfully, I've never been held hostage over a uh, star rating like uh. that. Um, I, I can't even – like, I really wonder what goes through a customer's mind when they make a threat like that. <laughs> uh, I guess we're lucky in that Basecamp – Customers are just, for the most part, really, really awesome. Um, right. we, you know, you get bad apples every now and then. Um, you know, like I was just, I, while we were thinking about it, I pulled up the Basecamp app, and, and one of the one-star reviews is uh, somebody called No no Name. Yeah, No Name, but they spelled it wrong. And it <laughs> says one star because why do I have to do it every single time? Like what? What are you asking there? And and even if I knew what you were asking, it's, I can't it's like you. zombies. It's like they're it's like they're not. It's like there's a whole genre of people that exist nowhere but like on the subways in New York City and in the app store. <laughs> well, I do think too. It's a, it's it is still a little bit apples and oranges also because the Basecamp app, you know, is an app in support of a paid for SaaS product, and that's yeah. kind of even a whole different thing from. You have a pure mobile app that's ninety nine cents, and you know I, I think the clientele there. You're still dealing with the same, you know, paying customer clientele that you're dealing with through the web app um, when they're working on the mobile app. Versus, uh, you know, Andre's kind of in the pure pure mobile setup, which is the wild west over there. Yeah, you know, I will say one thing too. When we did first launch the app, um, there were more one and two star ratings than we thought that it deserved. We thought it was at least like a fairly solid three and a half, maybe four star app. And it was weird that customers just tend to be rating it so low. And so we decided to try this experiment. We did one of those kind of in-app bug bug notifications or whatever you want to call it. The the ones that pop up and say, hey, you've used it 10 times now. Do you want to, you know, leave us some feedback and, and, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. rate us Mm -hmm. in-app and and all that kind of thing. And that's when we saw a jump in the higher four and five star ratings because, and it makes sense when you think about it. Yeah, those are kind of annoying for developers and designers, but your average customer, unless they have a problem, they're not going to tell you what they think of your app. Unless you ask them. And when you ask them, those people are going to be like, yeah, I really love this app. And I'm going to leave it five stars. And that boosts your rating and gets you some good comments in the the app store. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think, especially because in mobile, you're so, you're not, you're never on the, on the place basically to do that. You know, there's no reason for you to be over there where you're just wandering past or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So like, 
you're not even in your browser to write anything, so you have to really be be kind of pushed over there to to make make that step if you're just a happy customer just tooling along and loving life, enjoying that. Yeah, you've got to, especially in public venues like that, where people are looking at reviews and looking at comments and things, you definitely want to explicitly encourage your customers to leave those kind of reviews. And if you don't, then don't be surprised when customers don't. Yeah. yeah. I have a question about customer support as a career choice. I might have an answer on that one. Maybe. We're gonna actually, we're gonna actually get to the topic eventually, but we gotta get this um, stuff out of our system first. I've got all night. We're good. All right. So do you? So so do you need to be like? Do you need to have like an A type extrovert personality to be good at this stuff? Because like I don't like any of it, and I'm sure a lot of developers don't like any of it, and I. It, I hate phones with a pa- like they should be banned as a concept. And um I think a lot of developers are sort of sort of you know this borderline Asperger's syndrome level of social anxiety and they might not enjoy customer support either. Uh so to be good at this stuff can you um do you have to have this sort of extra extrovert outgoing personality or can you sort of uh, I don't know mumble fake it or 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 learn to do it well regardless of what type of person you are I think that as long as at the end of the day you genuinely want your customers to be happy in using your app and and get better at using your app that's what you you really want in a person doing customer support extrovert introvert doesn't really matter um you know for me it's one of those where when I go to a party with my wife I'm the quiet one that's looking at my watch and going hey it's 10 o'clock I want to go home and go to bed um, I, I know a couple of people that I, I really talk to and, and engage in socially and, and that kind of thing. But for the most part, I'm, I'm kind of one of those uh, introverts. That's, you just leave me alone. You do your thing. I do my thing. And, and we'll all be happy. Um, definitely on the same line with you with the phone support. I, I cannot stand phones in general. I don't want to talk on a phone. I have a cell phone, but I never use the phone part. Mm-hmm. It's just <laughs> so like I, I, I don't know. I I just don't like having conversations on the phone for whatever reason. Um, now, email, email's good. Text messaging's good. I'm, I'm okay with that. But I'm, my wife will tell you I don't like talking on the phone, even if it's to her. Right. And, and, she is, yeah, and Ian she's is also the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I think, uh, you know, a lot of anxiety, especially when it's developers and designers and, and bootstrappers, um, the anxiety from support comes from the fact that it's it's new. They've never really had to do this before, so they're kind of learning as they go. Uh, and, and you're going to make mistakes, and, and it, it's going to be frustrating for you, and you're just trying to help the customer. Uh, you know. But at the end of the day, as long as you keep like plowing through it, you're going to get better at it, right? You're going to learn how to write a better email. Um, you're going to learn tips and tricks that trade where what would have taken you three hours to, to get through your support emails yesterday can only take an hour today uh, if, you, if you set up a good flow and everything. Um, but I think that's that's the biggest thing when it with bootstrappers when they start dealing with customers and support requests. It's just a whole new world and it's it can be scary because these are the people that are paying you and you don't want to mess that relationship up. Um, yeah, so extrovert, introvert doesn't really matter. It's just you've got to have a, a, a good passion, I guess is a good word there, uh, for helping people. Well, I think, too, there's also this, um, this kind of this conflict, really, in, 
especially, you know, if you're bootstrapping and you're the developer, which in most bootstrapping cases you are, unless, you know, maybe there's two of you or whatever, but uh, because, you know, that speed to, to replying to the customer is very important. And, you know, usually in customer service, you're trying to respond very quickly. That's a metric that, you know, almost everybody tracks and uh, you just want to be very responsive to the customer. But then on the programmer end of your brain, um, you know, if you sit there and watch as a new support request comes in and you're always looking for that, and then when it does, you answer it right away, you know, that's constantly then taking you out of your programmer mode, which means you pretty much get nothing done all day because as soon as you've been disrupted, now it's going to take you like an hour to get back into it. And as soon as you're back into it, you're going to get pulled out. Um, you know, so then, but you're trying to bootstrap this company. So if you say, okay, I'm not going to do any customer service till, you know, five o'clock tonight, then <laughs> you end up with this scenario where those people who emailed you at eight in the morning are, you know, not getting help. Or if it's pre-sales questions, they're off looking at the competitor's solutions while you're not answering them. So, you know, there's this kind of natural conflict where you just don't have enough people to do both things that kind of need doing. And so it ends up in some, uh, you know, difficult situations sometimes. Yeah, I, I think with when customers know that you're a small team, they give you a lot of leeway in things like fast response times and, and that kind of thing because they're, they know they're talking to somebody that can directly help them and directly fix their problem. So uh, what I would say is, you know, when you're a bootstrapper and you've got one or two people on your team, get up in the morning and go ahead and, and set aside a chunk of time to answer your support cases that come in during that time. Um, and, and then move on to your other stuff. Move on to, to working on that new feature or cleaning up that bug or whatever. From that point on, the only real replies that you're worried about are the customers that you answered in that first block of your time. New cases that come in, they can wait until maybe lunch when you take a break or in the afternoon when you take a break. Um, you're only really worried about getting replies back to those customers you helped in that first chunk of time during your uh, during the morning, uh, and kind of splitting it up in chunks like that gives you the 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 chance to jump into that programmer mode, for lack of a better word. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and customers are still being helped, but they know that they're dealing with a small team, and they're going to give you leeway in and how long it takes you to get back to them. Um, so that's the biggest thing, you know, on your support page, just be honest, say, hey, there is two people on this team, and two people are doing support. And it might take you a little bit longer to, to get a reply. But, you know, when you tell us about a bug, we're going to fix it right away and get you a reply back, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, too, like that aspect of things where, um, and that's, that's great advice. And I think that nowadays it's so much easier to do that because, like, when me and Andre started bootstrapping, you know, almost 10 years ago now, essentially, uh, you know, it was just on the cusp of that, like, if you say you're like, oh, there's a lot of fear about acknowledging that you were small. So, like, you know, if you're just say, hey, I'm a guy doing shareware. You know, shareware is kind of like a 90s, 80s kind of thing, <laughs> bad connotations. Uh, and, but then there's a lot of pressure to be big, because especially if you're B2B and you're dealing with businesses, whatever. And the world's changed so much since then where, you know, people are all the time, uh, businesses are spending lots of money with companies that are clearly, you know, very small or two college kids who got $6,000 from Y Combinator or uh, whatever. And, you know, that's, you know, an advantage, essentially, uh, something that you can 
can play up and say, you're going to be talking directly with the founder and, you know, I'm going to be able to help you and all those kind of things. So uh, that's kind of nice about where this internet software world's kind of gone is uh, it's really, it's definitely not a negative at this point And it's uh, certain in certain groups is a, is a positive. Yeah. And you know, when you're working with a support app, that's the, the biggest thing I would recommend. So when you have support requests coming in, um, working out of like a Gmail inbox or something like that is fine. I, I would recommend whatever app that you're using for your email, go ahead and set up some kind of flows and, and uh, triggers and things so that when uh, a sales question comes in, maybe it's a lower priority for you to get to than uh, a customer that writes in and says, hey, I can't log in. That's a big right. problem. That's one you need to get to right away. The sales one, eh, it can wait a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, figuring out those things and getting, you know, that's a really big skill that is, uh, you know, it's something that you definitely have to learn is how to triage these things and to ha- learn to have an eye for what is actually a critical error or bug um, and what is, you know, less less essential to be answered right now because when it's just one person you know, you really you have to make those prioritizations. Uh, it's especially important in that case. So, uh, and that's definitely something that it does take a little bit, a little bit of time to learn. I think to to see that since customers always write you in their own specific customer dialect, if you will, and you have to kind of have to be able to interpret that and uh, figure out what they're really getting at sometimes, especially with more complicated products or technical products and things uh, where there's more more questions about that might be subtle and things of that nature. Um, I have um, um, a thing that I always wanted to bring up with somebody who does uh, customer service like professionally instead of just like as a, as a side thing that, that we do, like Ian and I do. Um, I remember listening to something with uh, Joel Spolsky and when he was talking about difficult support customers. And we all get difficult, no matter how much people love your stuff once in a while you get uh, or every third one like me you get a really difficult uh, support customer who's just either he's cursing you out he's just calling you names or he just refuses to listen or whatever Um, but I remember Spolsky recommending that when you're doing support especially when you're a small company and you're essentially doing support for your own products the tendency of course to take it personally is there because they think they're talking to uh uh, you know, some call center in India, for, for lack of a better word, and, and, and they're just talking to a machine or they're talking to some big conglomerate. There's nobody behind there. But in reality, you're the guy who wrote this, and when he's insulting you as an organization, he's insulting you. Um, so Spolsky always recommended that when you're doing customer support, especially if you're small, to say that um, you kind of play a mind game um, with yourself and you say it's not you who's doing the support uh, you are the ideal customer service representative for your company and the, your responses should be almost like you're the puppet master controlling this ideal customer support entity and so you're not taking it personally you're supposed to take yourself out of it kind of step out of your own body your body is doing the customer supporting but you're guiding it from an outside you're, you're supposed to uh, you're supposed to uh, be able to uh, control this customer support person as a separate person instead of you being the person. So do you guys sort of um, em- either employ this 
technique or do you have any other techniques where you're that you utilize to be able to provide either better support or to be able to sort of stay sane in difficult situations? Yeah, it's one of those where at the end of the day, you have to remember that they're human and you're human. And a lot of times your difficult cases like that are going to be people that are frustrated with something. Uh, and it, it might be frustration with a problem that you can fix. And it might be frustration with a problem that you can't fix. Um, I was dealing with a customer a, a couple of weeks ago who was upset that our app couldn't control um, what his his salespeople were doing. So he was afraid that his salespeople would go out and, and take all these leads that he had given them and basically hoard them for themselves and, and not share them. And, and if they ever wanted to, they would leave his company and take all of their leads with him, with them. Um, right. Well, that's not a problem that software can fix. That's a right. problem of, that's a person. That's a person problem, right? You hired the wrong person. And I was trying to walk through and explain all this, and, and it never really jived. He just did never see that that rationale behind it. And at the end of the day, um, he gave me a, a frown on the, the support review system that we use. It's called Smiley, and you get to pick whether you want to give me a, a green smiley face or a yellow, yeah, it was okay face, or a red frown face for being frustrated. Um, and at the end of the day, I just have to step back and go, yeah, you know, that person might have called me the worst support, uh, you know, worst support person ever, but right. I know I'm not. Um, right. And I've got other customers that can say, no, I'm not. Now I'm going to look at this interaction and be like, hey, what can I learn from it? Could I phrase things differently? Um, would this have worked? Would that have worked? And all that kind of thing. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, you just got to remember that they, these are humans on the other end and them being frustrated with the situation. Um, you can control sometimes and sometimes you can't. And if you can't control it, then I just don't let it bother me. Um, so you, we've got the, like I mentioned, we've got the, the smiley review system. So I, I say, you know, well, this frown that I got, yeah, they frowned me, but it really wasn't a frown. There wasn't anything I could do directly to control that situation. And besides, I've got, you know, 95 other customers that love me right now. So I'm okay. <laughs> there, there are places that take this to... Um the other end of the extreme sort of there, there's a point where you're rude but then there's a point where like sometimes you call these um, Verizon or, or some bank or something where they actually do have a dedicated call center somewhere and and if they have you on hold for longer than 13 seconds or if they if you say you know oh, if they ask you how are you and you say oh it's a little rainy here and I'm a little bit sad they go into these extravagant oh I'm sorry you're feeling so terrible it's almost patronizing at that at that point you know they go overboard to like to, to like here I'll give you a massage and I'll give you a cookie and just, <laughs> just anything to make you smile and it's, you almost have to find a middle ground to where you're you're, you're not uh, this this you're not this fake niceness you're you're a genuine niceness give what the customer's giving you so if the customer is very matter of fact straightforward and it's like I have this problem I need it fixed then you can reply back in a straightforward manner you know you had this problem and I fixed it here's what I did if a person is a little bit more uh, lethargic or or feeling sad that kind of thing uh, then you can you can empathize with them a little more and maybe your your language changes to you know emphasize the, you know, I'm sorry that this is happening and, and, and kind of uh, mimic what they, uh, what they said. But I think 
each person is, is unique. There's no way that you can look at a customer and say, you want to reply this way every single time with every single customer. You've got to mimic what they're doing and, and how they're interacting with you to, to really connect with them and, and make the best possible support experience possible there. Hmm. All right. So, okay. one of the, oh, go ahead, Andre. No, no, I didn't have anything. I was just going to ask if Chase has any topics for, for kind of like his side of the joint podcast episode. Well, that's what I was going to kind of get into is that uh, we kind of decided to do this podcast um, based on a thread on the uh, bootstrapped discuss forums um, that Chase had spotted. And uh, so we don't have to go into all the specific details of that, but uh, we can perhaps it was a post by Jesse Terry and uh, kind of talking about doing customer service and his bootstrap company, some of the challenges he's he's uh, facing. And so, you know, I didn't know. We'll link that in the show notes, obviously. Uh, certainly, Chase, I don't know if you had some specific things out of that you wanted to talk about or just talk more generally. There's a lot of things in there, things like um, forums um, and, you know, the good and bad of that. There's also, there was another thread, I don't know if you've seen it, Chase, on the forums with a fellow who's going to be uh, releasing uh, essentially a help desk app um, that requires, basically has a wall where you must uh, go through the FAQ before you can submit a support request. Oh, which, the uh, support surfer guy, right? Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's not my, I don't, that's not really how I view uh, customer service, but um, I think there's probably people out there who would who would uh, like that kind of thing. So I'd be interested in your thoughts on that as well. But uh, why don't you kick us off with a couple couple things you were thinking about based on the uh, customer support when bootstrapped thread over on uh, Discuss. Yeah, I, you know, I think the biggest question that I get a lot of times now over at Support Ops is. Uh, Similar to to the challenges that bootstrappers face in general, it's, you know, I've started this company, maybe we're one or two people, or maybe we're four or five people. We're just getting into customer support now, and we want to know how to do it right, what works, what doesn't work, that kind of thing. So, you know, with you two guys, you've launched some great products and and have some great uh, bootstrap stories. When When it comes to starting from scratch, starting a new product like Uber Deck or uh, Snappy with you, Ian, um, what's your your like top thing that you have to hit for so, for the support side? Like, do you have to have a good FAQ, or do you focus on a good email support first, or do you jump into forums first? Like, what's that like first step that you would take into the support part of your your product? Um, you know, for me. It's definitely the email support. Um, I think that when you're starting out, you know, things like writing really extensive FAQs and things of that nature are just impossible to find the time for. Uh, There's just not time to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to spend two days to write these extensive FAQs, especially if it's, you know, you're really... You know, Snappy's a little bit different, although we still haven't done extensive FAQs yet either. But uh, it's a little bit different because we're more people and it's an existing company and we have other products. But like when I was starting HelpSpot, like, you know, I, I definitely didn't have pages and pages of documentation like there is now as it's, you know, grown up over time. But uh, I think the email support's really critical because that's where there's, there's so many aspects to it beyond just customer service when you're starting out. Uh, because it's really you know your best feedback mechanism in general. So even outside of pure customer service, hey, this doesn't work. Hey, this is broken. Type of things. Um, you know, it's really 
especially in most internet-based businesses, it's essentially your only feedback channel. Uh, so, you know, it's critical to have that interaction with the customers on a personal level, not just exactly what they write, but even the, the, um, how they write it, the, what they're feeling about it. Um, you can get a sense for a lot of those things that you just don't have any insight into otherwise. And so definitely getting people to write you, even be willing to write you emails and have questions initially is always a challenge uh, when you don't have any, anybody using your product or you're just getting started and only a few users. But as those start to come in, for me, you know, the email is the core of everything. And then you can kind of work off of that to, as questions come in, make sure you document them and in the, FAQs and so on and uh, build, you know, standard replies for more common things. And you start to get into more of a, you know, sophisticated support model over, you know, months and years. But early on, it's really just about having conversations with the customers for me. Um, for me, it was, it was uh, different depending on sort of the product. So with Uberdeck, I don't know. I mean, I set up the support and everywhere on the website and the front website and then on the back and the, and the actual app, if there's somewhere where I think the customer, the user might not be clear on something, everything falls back on, you know, support at uberdeck.com because I don't know how they're going to use it yet. Um, I personally, when I go to web apps and SaaS things and like that, I always look for the FAQ and if, if I don't have questions, that's kind of like my primary source of getting information as to what this thing does is the FAQ and not the feature page. So I really want to have an FAQ page eventually, but I do want to see kind of where the focus of the concern is from the person coming into the website so I know where to start off for the FAQ. But when I was first starting out and there was the spam filter on the BlackBerry, the mobile space wasn't where the mobile space is now. So I had a lot of technical questions about just using the phone and, and other things like that because people weren't used to these. These things weren't ubiquitous as they are now. So I tried everything. We, I, I tried setting up an elaborate sort of knowledge base like Ian had on, the, on HelpSpot. I tried um, email. I, tried, I even had a phone number at one point when we had an office and a dedicated support person. I had uh, voice um, uh, online, uh, the voice chat, not voice chat, the online live help thing, like one of those doing keys where they live just... Live chat. Live chat, yeah. Um, I tried a forum where they helped themselves. So I tried basically every forum uh, because we got, as the company grew and as the uh, the product became more and more uh, popular, we, we started getting tons. We had like a solid five, six hours of continuous nothing but support. So we had like a person and a half full time to do support. And so I tried a whole bunch of different ways to sort of spread that out a bit to see maybe you could uh, do some triage here and not have every piece of support like hit my inbox right away. Um, and And as the mobile space grew and moved towards the app stores, but even from the beginning, less so, but even from the beginning, nobody took to any of it except for email. The forms didn't work. The knowledge base, nobody read. The phone numbers only rang when somebody had a question about the credit card charge because the phone number appears in the credit card statement. Um, the the The... The online internet chat, live chat thing was more of a nuisance than it was of a help because it was just something that could have been fixed 
in a sentence via an email conversation now took an hour and a half conversation because they want to talk about the weather and you can't hang up on an internet <laughs> chat. Right? Um, and, and, and that was, if email is an interaction, my God, that I am thing that pops up, that's an interaction when you're in the middle of a <laughs> word. It's an interruption. And then you have multiple coming in at the same time. That was the most awful one of all of them. <laughs> it really um, needs like a hang-up button on the chat tools. <laughs> so in the end, none of it worked except for email. So with Uberdeck, I'm just I'm I'm gonna start off with email, and I want to see where that where it leads to. So because I don't know how that space is gonna work yet. Yeah, you know, everybody and their mother knows how to use email. It's. There, there's no learning curve to it. There's no, how do I make sure I got everything set up right? They're already getting email. They were sending emails. So clicking on a contact us or support ad or, or whatever link is just second nature. It's, it's easy to work with. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, and it's easy to market. Essentially, you know, it's easy to stick that thing everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. People have it then in there if they've emailed you once, or you, you know, often you'll have emailed them initially with some yes, you signed up, or how's it going, or whatever your kind of drip emails along the way are. Um, so they already have it, uh, and they can just be replying to one of those emails they already have. So uh, and it's on their phone. It's you know it works everywhere. You know it's great. It's amazing how much work it is just from like the software perspective nowadays in customer service where. You know, people want you to have a mobile app and the web app and responsive web app and this and that and different mobile platforms and all this stuff. Um, but, you know, email already does all those things. <laughs> it's like email is great because it's already everywhere. It already is, you know, everybody knows how to use it. So uh, it's, it's still the core to me for sure. You know, we talked, we, we touched on a little bit about triaging those emails as they come in and, uh, you know, having a manageable flow where it's not taking up a lot of your time. You're not losing a lot of dollars and cents just replying to these customers that need help. So what do you guys think about premium support? You know, that option of if you want to get to the the top of the the email queue, if you want faster replies, then you're going to pay for it. Uh, Customers tend to like it, I think, or at least that's what the the surveys and research I've seen so far uh, indicates. But it's for me, it's I've always been torn on it. So especially from the bootstrapper perspective, do you think premium support is is something that they should offer when they're starting out? Um, I don't know if they should do it, but I kind of um, I I saw Alvin of collectors.com. He has that on his website where it's sort of, uh, during the checkout process, you buy a pack of this and you buy a scanner for your books and whatever. And then there's a little checkbook that says like $9 or $10 annual, whatever it is, for uh, priority support. And the little bells went off and like the, the, the bootstrapper business owner in me, I, I got nothing out of it as a consumer. Uh, but it smelled like... Um, when Ian and I had that episode on Authorize.net, when they started charging us just because they could get away with it, um, it smelled like that sort of thing where it's it's pure revenue with no additional effort at all because you're doing you're, you're full throttle on the support anyway. You're gonna get that ticket answered anyway. You're not gonna sit on it for three days just because the guy didn't pay you nine dollars for the priority support. You're going to get your question answered. So because of that inherent nature of your company that you're going to answer it, 
having the additional 15 minute in the front of the queue, even if that's implemented in the first place, but it, even if it is, having that extra 15 minutes doesn't cost you anything. So it seems like, like there's just money in the bank for a, a, an effort of nothing but an additional checkbox. I don't know how it hits the customer. Well, yeah, I think too, it's like, it's very, to me, it's extremely dependent on the delivery mechanism of the software, as well as if it's B2B or B2C. So, um, like, I, I, you rarely, I feel like you don't see much, that much at all in B2C, but he, that guy's a genius, so he's, he's thought of everything. <laughs> um, but uh, in B2B, you know, then it depends on, like, is it, you know, a product like HelpSpot, which is on-premise, which you're probably already charging support. Support is already an additional fee. Um, and then, you know, but it is also common to have like a multi-tiered support set up with, you know, one has phone, one doesn't, more hours, whatever the case may be. Uh, so that's that's definitely common there. In like the SaaS app, I feel like you don't see it as much directly, but then like in terms of just, hey, it's X more a month just for this additional support, but you definitely often see it as this is how we get you to the next tier. So like, you know, the pro tier has email support and is nine to five Monday to Friday, but the enterprise tier is, you know, seven days a week and also has phone or whatever. So like that's how you can put people to that next level. Um, You know, from a bootstrap perspective, it definitely seems you know, I think it's a great idea to use it to get people to that next tier because it makes sense. You're delivering them more value that has more value. Um, you know, if you're doing it, you know, correctly, then you know you will answer those people first, or depending on how you structure it. Um, I think hours wise, it gets a little bit tricky. You know, if you're going to promise more hours and things, and you're just one person or two people, you know, it's support is very touchy especially with more enterprise clients. Like if you say you're going to be there 24-7, 365, and you just assume that since you're always working on the software, you'll be around, you know, when you're not there, you, you, you'll definitely won't be there when they need you because it's going to be like 3 a.m. on Sunday because you promised them you'd be there always and you're not there. So Murphy's Law will hit you hard. Yes, exactly. So, you know, that I'd be careful about being disingenuous. But uh but it does seem like overall like something that should be in the fold, um, at least as an, an option, uh, you know, for, for boot shoppers to at least consider as either part of their tiering, um, you know, or, or something about that nature. You know, SaaS is also a little bit weird too because are you going to really have no support? You can't really have no support. It's not, it's not quite the same thing as an on-premise app where you bought it, you installed it on your server. Now you don't have support. You've chosen not to get it. You're just on your own it still runs or whatever, but you don't have support, you know, the product they're using, it's always on your infrastructure. You're always going to have potentially some issues that are actual bugs that are affecting everybody. So it's, it's hard to have no support, but you could definitely do things like prioritization and, and, uh, you know, extended hours and stuff like that. Um, definitely puts you into a little bit more of a sophisticated operation from, uh, you know, that kind of perspective, but, Again, it's usually not too hard to handle. Maybe you have a special email address for that additional tier, or, or if it's in-app support, you know, you'll know who they are. So, yeah, you know, I've I've been working on 
a post for it over at Support Ops. And I still don't know how I really feel about it, which is why I'm asking anybody and everybody I can, hey, what do you think about this? <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I'm it's generally... all over the place. I generally, like, I think I'm with you. It feels a little uh, wrong. Yeah, a little kinda, dirty. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm going to take your money and, and... Not for B2B. B2B, it's fine. It's like part of the... the part of the ecosystem but but the b2c check this box if you want me to talk to you faster uh is a little bit icky yeah it kind of i i had some grandparents that flew on spirit airlines which is this little budget startup uh airline that's more trouble than it's worth i really think but anyways <laughs> uh so check baggages at the gate was i mean at the counter was 30 dollars, but if you get to the gate and <laughs> you have to check it's 50 dollars. So it's like this extra cost just because you're in a bad spot. (laughs) And that's kind of how like priority support. It's like, you really need help right now and I'm going to charge you for it on the off chance that, yeah, you might be in that situation over the course of the year. You might not, we don't know. We're just going to, it's like insurance. You just roll it. It, It's really, it's from the developer's perspective. It's really, you're selling a $39 piece of desktop software to a person that you know nothing about. The person knows nothing about you or the software. So when you put in a checkbox to say, check this, if you're the kind of person that's going to be a pain in my ass for the next year, you're going to have to pay me $9 now for that privilege. That's what essentially what it is, because you don't know anything about this this relationship from that point. Well, that's yeah. the two supports change so much with like, especially if we talk in particular about SaaS apps. Like, it's so cheap to support them. Like, all right, so we all know how huge Thirty Seven Signals is, millions of customers, blah, blah blah. But the support team there, I mean, how many people are on your guys' support team? It's under ten, right? Uh, it's ten, but two of those are Q and A. So, all right, so they're, they're not support. Yeah. That's so it's eight. So eight people for you know millions of customers so i mean it's an almost borderline irrelevant cost uh so like it's like so then you'd have to charge enough to really make it worth even charging anything because if you just if it's a small amount like what's even the point there's already enough revenue it it costs essentially nothing to provide this and it's it's kind of a core service we need to have anyway so you know, at some point, maybe you have like enterprise support and it's 24 7, 365 with a dedicated account guy and he's always there. And okay, so now you're actually having this way increased service level with, you know, matching increased cost. And so, okay, we're going to have to charge a premium for that. But, uh, you know, I think a SaaS app is like what we've seen with Snappy. I mean, there's like no support. <laughs> I mean, we have paying customers now, oh, there's bugs and there's occasional feature requests. And then there's the occasional, how do I do something? But I mean, like, almost nothing. Now, obviously, as we have more and more customers, there'll still be enough to keep people busy. uh, But it's, you know, orders of magnitude less than an on-premise app. And uh, so, I don't know, nowadays, it's like such an insignificant cost. I think it's it's hard to justify that unless it's uh, more about adding hours or things of that nature. Well, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one that feels that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like I said, I I just keep struggling with it going back and forth. Customers want it, and it's one of those, well, if customers want it and they're going to pay for it, then why shouldn't I take their money? If they're like standing there waving it in front of your face, take my (laughs) money. It's hard to say, yeah. Sure. I mean, like I think I I might have even said on the Discuss thread, um, that particular Discuss thread we were talking about, but, you know, I mean, there's business customers that are just going to buy support. 
no matter what under any circumstances. And they will buy the best support you offer no matter what under any circumstances. And, you know, so that is definitely money left on the table. Now, I mean, it does have the downside of increased complexity for everybody else. Like everybody else now has to figure out like, do I need this support? Do I want this support? Am I going to use this support? Is it worth X dollars a month or year to me to have it? So you've now complicated the sales process um, mm-hmm. with another thing that has to be explained. Uh, so, you know, so is the additional revenue you're going to get from, you know, these enterprise customers who just automatically buy the best support, uh, you know, going to be offset by people who don't buy because they're like, oh, that thing's too, I didn't understand the pricing. It seemed like we were going to be charged a lot. So, you know, we went with this other tool or whatever. So, um, there's, you know, all those kind of downsides, but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's tricky. I mean, especially I could see you guys, but I mean, you guys are pretty responsive in your support. I mean, I, from what I understand, it seems like you're pretty pretty on top of it. So are they really gonna are you gonna be able to improve on like if you get back to people an average of under ten minutes? Like, how much faster can you really get back to people? You know, practically there. Yeah, I think you know once you move into a dedicated support team, it, it opens up new kind of support requests. So a lot of times the the people that want that kind of priority support are the ones that want you to show up on their location and do a half day training course with them or they want to do a WebEx for a couple of hours and and that kind of thing. And I think there's, there's probably a market there Mm. when your team is big enough where they could do one-on-one trainings with companies and, and, yeah, for lack of a better word, and charge them for that. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, our, our response time at 37 Signals right now is uh, 97% of all cases are answered in an hour, and that's 24 hours a day. So 97% in an hour. And wow. during business hours, we're looking at average response times between three and four minutes. Yeah. So, uh, so priority support at that point just doesn't, what, you get an extra minute? Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you're not adding anything else there uh, beyond yeah. just beyond just your top of the queue, there's not mm-hmm. really a lot of value there. Yeah, which WordPress, you know, and we're kind of moving from small bootstrap people into like successful bootstraps, right? Um, but WordPress actually has a, a cool, not saying small bootstraps are not successful. Let me let me clarify that before I get a lot of emails from small bootstrap companies. But um, I was talking with a friend larger, from... <laughs> larger <employee>. companies. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was talking with a guy that works over at, at WordPress, and they actually do offer the priority support as an add-on, but it gets you live chat. So instead of doing email, you can go the email route, or you can live chat with one of their reps, which, mm-hmm. you know, you're adding that instant communication, which I would pay for sometimes, especially like I use Media Temple for all of my hosting. So when my site's down, I want live chat. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that yeah. makes sense. And and it's much more expensive because now you've gone from time shifted, at least theoretically, it's more expensive. You know, time shifted support to real time support. So, you know, it's in between being on the phone, which obviously can only be one on one, and email, which you know can be time shifted. Um, but there's really there is a limit to really kind of how many live chats you can have going realistically at once. Because also, when you are on live chat, if the person doesn't get back to you fast. It's way worse than like email support because it's just frustrating to sit there while this you know person is answering forty other people and they're you know cycling back to you you know and you're just sitting there waiting for them. It has like I, I don't know for me it's always creates a negative uh, negative feeling about the support interaction where I wish they just didn't offer live chat and just said email us and I would have emailed them and just forgotten about it until they got me back. 
Um, but instead it's live chat, quote unquote, where it's not that live because I'm on there for half an hour waiting. You've got to throw a ton of people a live chat to make it work, right? So we tried it with 37 Signals. It was only offered to our very top plan of Basecamp. So one app and um, uh, the one plan on that app. Right. It took us three people on a morning shift, three people on an afternoon shift. Each person was doing an average of three or four simultaneous chats, yeah. which is insane. Right. <laughs> And if yeah, you don't I mean, do it right, you're you're left waiting, right? So I was my bank offers live chat. I love USAA; they're they're fantastic. But with live chat, there was a wait time of 20 minutes. At which point, I'm like, no, I'm not going to wait for 20 minutes. <laughs> and then, so, yeah, you probably call them and get it faster, you know? Yeah, I've called them at three o'clock in the morning, and it, it's a lady down in Texas who fixed my problem right away. Right. They're, they're fantastic on that front. So if you're thinking live chat, just make sure you've got a ton of people to throw at it. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I, I've i seen live chat. I mean, we played with it a little bit, but we knew we just couldn't pull it off for support because we just don't really have enough people to do it right. And, uh, you know, I played with it a little bit for sales. I mean, I think it could be interesting on the website for sales because you could also just turn it off. Like, if you're when you're available, you turn it on and whatever, <laughs> you catch some people and you have those interactions, but when you're not available, you just turn it off and those people just, the other people get the regular experience. Um, but there's not like an expectation there, mm-hmm. like where it's support live chat, where people get used to that and then just expect that, okay, I can always get these guys in live chat. So, you know, for that, I think it, it can definitely be advantageous, but it's definitely tricky or, uh, with support when you have those kind of different expectation levels. And you might also be dealing with complicated things and you have, multiple people with complicated support requests and that gets uh, gets tricky especially if it doesn't give you you know a lot of support organizations things might need to be escalated mm-hmm. obviously we're now getting away from pure one man bootstrap startups here but uh, you know you need to ask somebody a question one of the developers you know now it's gone to that interaction has to be real time so now you have to have a developer who's available when you need to ask them a real time question you know, versus letting it sit for a few minutes while you, you know, they they come around to it. So, I will say that the better option, especially for bootstrappers, when you're running a small team, instead of doing live chat or uh, you know more complicated support channels than just email, the best option to do is throw a like a an online classes page up on your site and do it once a week. Right. So once a right. week, have a a workshop or a class or whatever you want to call it. I'm going to walk you through my app, the basics of my app, and then we're just going to have a live Q&A. So you can ask me sales questions, you can ask me support questions, and I'm going to show it all to you in real time right there. I'm going to take a video of it, and I'm going to put that video recording on the site so people that can't make it for that class can actually watch it. And it gives you a perfect answer for, hey, does your app do this? Can I get a sales demo? Can I get a support demo? Can I get help with this or that in real time? And you can point to the the classes page and say, hey, go take this class. It's once a week. It's 30 minutes. It's going to save you time, me time, and everyone's going to be happy at the end of the day. Yeah, that's something I've I've been thinking a lot about because we do offer uh, for HelpSpot um, demos. We don't really push them too hard because we don't have a ton of excess time, but uh, since it is a large dollar upfront purchase, um, you know some of our customers kind of expect that, so mm-hmm. um, we will do them. But you know, it's an hour and a half or whatever, and it's just one. It's one on one, and you know there are benefits to the one on one because then we can kind of just take it wherever they want to go, and you know get into whatever 
sorts of questions they have. But uh, but I have been considering the, the option of just doing it more as a weekly type of thing where uh, you know maybe over a course of a month you have it different days and times. Mm-hmm. And so they can just get scheduled in and be part of a small group or, or whatever who, who want to see that. And it can be a little bit more structured. It can be recorded. It can be you know, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as well as just having live chat, like office hours too. I've never actually tried that. But uh, that's something I kind of want to play around with a bit too. I don't know if you've played with that at all, Chase. Just having like campfire open and letting people wander in at a specific time. We uh, did office hours a little bit. They were kind of structured. So it was, hey, we'll be here from uh, this time to that time. And you can wander in. It was like a couple of hours window. And it was it was okay. It was mm. kind of weird. It, it, You know, people think that doing an online chat uh, office hours kind of thing is similar to a customer just walking into your office, right? And it's not. It's kind of like them walking into your office and seeing what everybody else has asked you and other conversations you've had with them. And right. now their conversation is mixed in and it's kind of, it's Gets just a weird, yeah, it's just weird a little bit. Right. Um, <laughs> but again, you know, like Andre was talking about earlier, it gets you away from the phone support, which you don't want to do, especially right. when you're small and bootstrapped. Um, so yeah, definitely. I, I would recommend trying those things out first before you move into the more person intensive live chat phone support or any of those, those other channels that are going to just suck up people's time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think that it's kind of gone an interesting direction again, just because a lot of the live support, it depends on what your product does, but like for phone, for instance, I mean, even when we started userscape phone was pretty expected, but you know, again, with the SAS app, there's just, there's not that many things that you won't already know about which are truly urgent, you know? So, like, with the on-premise app, like, some, they're down and they're urgently trying to get a hold of you. And it's just that one customer, but they have an urgent issue that you have no idea about until they contact you. <laughs> Obviously, if your whole app is down, you know, everybody has pinged them and a million <laughs> notifiers and you get 4,000 emails and everybody's on it two minutes later. Uh, so you kind of already know about those things. And so again, you're kind of just, it's a little bit more usage questions, pre-sales questions, you know, things like that, which are not quite as time sensitive as a, you know, an urgent technical issue. You're still going to get that one person that demands a complete walkthrough sure. <laughs> to everything. And I'm going to download, I'm going to start working with Uber Deck tonight and start demanding phone calls, Andre. There you so, go. Just, so just so you know, be ready. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, uh, 37 Signals should sign up with Uber Deck. Or at least the support team, so that next time uh, the uh, Basecamp app has a bug in it, you guys could just send a message to all your app users and say a bug fix is on its way, so you don't get all those one-star reviews. Yeah, I don't know if they've looked at it yet or not, but I've got to I got to slide it over there because they're getting the app ready for iOS seven and are looking at new uh, new code and everything to pull in. So yeah, send me an email. I'll help you integrate it. Ooh, there you go. Free support. support. Can I get your phone number? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Andre, you can talk to thousands of people on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> one-on-one conversation. Phones should be banned. They should be banned. <laughs> oh my it's they should be thrown away in a big pile of phones and fax machines and set ablaze. <laughs> I actually did have a, a guy that wanted me to fax him a form the other day, and I told him, look, I don't have a fax machine. And he wrote back, 
Well, who doesn't have a fax machine these days? You've, you've got one on your desk, right? <laughs> I emailed back. I'm actually on my back porch out with my dog. So, no, I don't have a fax machine out there. That's funny. This was for work or this was uh, – Yeah, this was for work. It was one of those – I don't know if you if you guys ever get them, but people that want to use your app, but they have these like 30-page security questionnaires that they need you to fill yeah. out first. <laughs> yeah. We it's insane. Those. Right. <laughs> yeah, depending on what it, I uh, yes, yeah, the security ones I just do. Some some things like RFPs and stuff, we don't really do those anymore. I don't know if you guys do the RFPs, but we don't do the RFPs. I got called out on one of those once cuz this lady was like, "We're thinking about using you." And they sent me like a standard uh, RFP where you have to go to this website and log in and and set up the password and everything else, and then you've got to complete this big checklist, but oh wait, it's only optimized for IE8 on right. Windows <laughs> got to do that and i wrote her back and was like no i'm not going to do this but right. but everyone does that i don't have ie8 on windows xp i'm sorry right, right. So. yeah and what we just found too is like the customers who are just like blast you know you're never going to get those people as customers generally you know what i mean like they're just blast emailing everybody so that like they can have you know 40 reference points and mm-hmm. the two that they were thinking about anyway are the two that are in contention and but you know, there's either regulations or whatever. Uh, I don't know. I mean, at certain price points, it's a thing you do, but not at not at our price points. So. No, not for bootstrappers. Not in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's just going to eat up your whole day. And a lot of them too have like a lot of legal stuff attached to them. So you actually have to be quite careful. You're like agreeing to all kinds of things when you like send back these RPs that if they choose you out of some miracle you're now contractually obligated to all kinds of stuff <laughs> that you didn't want to be obligated to so uh and one thing i i didn't know but and the bootstrappers have talked about this on the discuss forum a little bit uh, talk about what states to incorporate in it and all that kind of thing there are some states where when you enter into a an agreement like that with a company you are now held responsible for that state's sales tax so oh, yeah. it opens you up on the on the tax front to all sorts of things Along with all of those those uh, terms of service that you don't really want to be agreeing to, anyways. Yeah, that's uh, sales tax is like a whole episode, but like definitely, oh, that's, I hate it. Sales tax is rough. I mean, it's with the SaaS apps, you don't well, according to our accountant, you, <laughs> you don't have to collect it if you have like employees in different states and things um, mm-hmm. because you, it's it's centrally hosted. But uh, like with HelpSpot, it causes us endless pain. We have like we have five employees, but we we deal with four states on their individual, you know, um, employee income taxes and state sales tax, and uh, it's it's like a it's literally like a full time job just like dealing right. with it. It's crazy. Amazon opened up a warehouse here outside of Nashville, and I thought that was the greatest thing in the world because right. I could order something literally tonight at nine o'clock p.m. and I would get it tomorrow by lunch. Right. It, you know, <laughs> fantastic being that close. But now I get this little disclaimer at the end of every email, being like, "You're now responsible for the sales tax on these purchases." <laughs> oh, but they're not collecting it yet. I, I think no, Amazon's they don't collect start it. Collecting it, they're going to start collecting it. I just read something somewhere. I think across like the whole country, they oh. kind of caved in, and but this way that. They're going to build all these uh, warehouses. So that's the upside is everybody that's will be able upside. to. That's the upside. get the warehouse. Yeah, the, get a warehouse, which for me, I mean, sometimes that's borderline worth it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> since I buy everything through Amazon. but uh, I get my new coffee maker and toilet paper by tomorrow. Right, exactly. you, you signed up for that Amazon Prime, which is the Amazon equivalent of check this box for $9 extra priority support. <laughs> oh, no. Amazon Prime is the best thing ever. I love the Prime. I love it. <laughs> 
I, I'll say I signed up for it because I send customers gifts a lot of time, so it quickly paid for itself in shipping. Oh, time. look at that thirty-seven signal style customer <laughs> gifts. Yeah. Oh. You get you little ribbons and boxes and oh, silk things yeah. and chocolate and stuff. No, we actually, depending on um, how this sounds creepy, like I don't fault <laughs> customers. <laughs> But if all, all if, million customers are now waiting for their gift, you better get on it. You're gonna be like Oprah. Look under your chairs. <laughs> bees. Everyone got bees. <laughs> um, but yeah, if a customer mentions us, like uh, on their Twitter feed or something, says, "Hey, you know," like we had one guy who gave us a great shout on Twitter because they used Basecamp to put together his little girl's science project. So we saw it and saw that she was a big science kind of. Uh, uh, geek in a good way right in a good meaning of that word and so we decided to send her another science fair project you go on amazon you pick it out it's free shipping and you get it sent their way and now that customer loves you even more so it's it's (laughs) a no-brainer it's for people that um you can find out what their interests are uh you know, especially if they're on Twitter, you'll see lots of people who are whiskey fans or they're beer fans. So we send them beer glasses and, and that kind of thing. Um, you're going to spend a couple of dollars on the gift, but it's going to it's going to pay for itself and their loyalty. Yeah, I actually have a question along those lines, and this is somewhat off topic here, but um, because I've been thinking about doing some various things along those lines myself with Snappy, we've done a little bit of that with HelpSpot over the years as well, but with HelpSpot. Just by its nature, it's more enterprising, and we <clears throat> collect everybody's information, whatever. But with Snappy, uh, right now we just collect like their credit card and their zip code. So, <laughs> I so you guys, I take it then actually collect their their like billing address, or have you guys tested that? I know you do a lot of A/B testing. We do, and what A/B testing found on those signup forms is that the the least amount of resistance and friction you can put in those signup forms, the the higher your conversions are, are going to be. So we did the same thing. It, you start a 60-day free trial with Basecamp. All you need is a name, an email address, and a password, and you're good to go. Right. Um, when it comes to picking a plan and all that, we still make it really super easy. You enter your card number, you enter the expiration date, and the billing zip code, and that's it. We don't do the, the addresses and all that. That's mm-hmm. You know, it requires some sleuthing. You'll get lucky sometimes on their Twitter feed. They'll have a link over to their their website, and the website right. will give you their, their address. Or um, they'll say, hey, I work at, yeah, you know, on LinkedIn it might have it. Or they'll say something like, hey, um, I work at Acme Company. And then you go to Acme Company's website, and there's a big picture of them on the, the team page. And then it gives right. you their, their work address, so you can send it to their work. A uh, little cool. bit of sleuthing on that one. And that's why all several million customers are not going to get a gift from us because <laughs> we're not putting enough information out there for all of us all right. to kind of cyberstalk them. Um, but yeah, it's for the ones that you can find, it's, it's a lot, a lot of fun. I was working with a, a team down in Atlanta called 8-Bit, and they are big gamers, right? So big into all the, the different games, the Super Nintendos and N64s and Xbox and, and all that. So um, they had an office. I, I found that uh, email address pretty easily on their website, on their company website. And I uh, went ahead and sent them this little Pac-Man lamp. And they just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Right. So it's, it's worth <laughs> it. You're not going to get every customer that way, but you are going to be able to to send gifts and, and just brighten up the days of a few customers that it's it's worth it for whatever time you put in it. Well, it's one of those things too that like um, 
and this is an important thing I think for bootstrappers to consider because it definitely gets lost in the shuffle. But you know, having those uh, basically that the support is really still your best marketing, I think. And so, providing a great pure ex- support experience is is the the foundation. But you know, anytime you can do that little extra thing, a note, you know, a gift, you know, great. Um, but it can also sometimes just be like a shout out on Twitter or whatever, just little small things. Um, you know, people really appreciate that, and uh, it's you know, it really helps, especially early on when you're just trying to build those early fans uh, mm-hmm. who will you know go out and really talk about you. And most bootstrappers, you know, they're not advertising or not doing much of that kind of thing. So really those early customers are huge keys to, you know, if the, if the product's going to succeed or fail. Yeah. Rachel from, um, Perch, I keep forgetting the, the actual company name, Rachel Andrew. What's her name? Seat. Uh, yeah. Jemai Seat. She, uh, I, I don't remember if it's the same thread, um, that we we're talking about earlier from the discuss forums, but, uh, somebody was talking about AV testing and conversions from the sales side. And, and she mentioned in one of her replies that, she just put up the sales site just to sell the product. The entire company is completely driven by like the reputation of their support. Sort of like that um, that shoe site was it Zazzle or something. Zappos, Zazzle, Zappos right? Like the, the reputation of that entire uh, company is that they have this fantastic support where you can return shoes like ten years later or something like that. But like there's these entire companies that are that are famous and and seemingly get. Like their entire customer base, just from the reputation of how fantastic their support is. Yeah, yeah. it's support is marketing. It's every, uh, and you can go out and you can look at different studies done. You know, for every one new customer that you get, you spent the equivalent of of keeping five existing customers at the same cost. So it's in your favor to worry not worry about but focus on support and that customer support experience first before you run out and start trying to figure out how you can optimize your sales funnel to squeeze every last little dime you can out of it right yeah absolutely i actually have one thing to share with you guys here just it's uh it's kind of unbelievable this occurred just now but i saw this pop up on my can on my computer screen here so i just have to share it with uh with you guys in the audience so I emailed this company. This is unbelievable. It's happening while we're recording. I'm not making this up. This is true. I emailed this company who shall remain nameless on June 24th with a request. And on August 20th at 10 p.m., they just got back to me. (laughs) That's because you didn't check the box. That extra $9 you get priority. I guess so. (laughs) Two full months later. And these guys are... They're on like uh, the angel angel website. They're funding. There's they got millions of dollars. Blah blah blah. Two months later, I get my uh, my first reply to my request. So you got, got stuck in a pending queue somewhere, and they forgot about you. I know. I, I must be. I don't know. You should well, send at, them a link to me. Hey, my request. My ticket ID was four sixty two. So. You know, they don't. It's not like they have a huge queue with uh, a million things oh. that I got lost in there. I don't know. Well, you know, the problem is they're using Zendesk. That's the problem. <laughs> I well, I won't bad mouth. <laughs> yes, be keep, nice. yeah, keep, keep it nice. I'm allowed to bad mouth. Yes, nice. yes. But I will say, and I will call the company out. The absolute worst support experience I've ever had was from Twitter, and it was about mm-hmm. 
mm, about six months ago, 12 months ago, something like that, my wife had really kicked off her photography business. And so we had set up a Twitter account you know, way back when it first came out for her photography business on the off chance that we might want to use it sometime. And, you know, we didn't use the domain name that it was that the email was under. I couldn't remember how to log in. I didn't remember the password (laughs) or anything like that. Um, So I sent it to him and explained it and said, hey, here's the website. You can look at my picture and her picture and I can send you whatever legal forms you need to verify who I am and all that. And I, I thought I would just give it a chance. And so they replied to me. It was 48 hours later, and it was in German. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. And I never heard from them again. I replied back, and I was like, this is in German. Do I need to translate or something? And I never heard back from them. So we just gave up that that Twitter handle and moved on. Wow. Yeah, they're really weird with the Twitter. I had to get a Twitter handle for for Snappy and because uh, it was just like being squatted on and mm-hmm. – the I mean it was literally like worse than going to like get a passport. I mean there was like <laughs> the amount of information I had to provide was ridiculous. And it was absolutely the only reason it was this ridiculous, I'm sure, is so that it discourages you from even trying. So like mm-hmm. only the people who are like truly serious about acquiring this name from this guy who just like posted one, you know, Viagra tweet or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, only those people who are epically serious about it will even bother because it was like oh my god it was like a month of sending them various documentation for all this stuff and it was really it was it was and crazy. the documentation had to be in german yeah exactly <laughs> it, it, it might as well have been. no i guess so one other thing we didn't touch on we'll just touch on this quick too is what do you if i'd like to get your for your uh, thoughts on uh, forums because that definitely comes up a lot in kind of the bootstrap um support world and just support in general. So yeah, what are your I, will, forum thoughts? I will give you the link. So you have it for the show notes too. I actually wrote an article about customer powered support. So those, those forums that everyone looks at, right. right. Um, for me, it, you know, when it comes to customer support, you wouldn't outsource it to, to another country or another company or another team or something like that. Right. But that's what you're doing when it comes to, forums and using your customers to answer other customers' questions, right? You're turning over the entire support experience to another customer. Yeah. And when you lose control like that, it just all sorts of things can go wrong, right? So first, it it doesn't work at small scale because when you're small uh, and you're bootstrapped and you're just getting off the, the ground, uh, you'll have a very small percentage of your community, uh, of your customer base that actually answers questions in that forum, and that's only going to cause them to get burnout. I mean, somebody's not going to answer questions all day long for you for free right. of charge. It right. just, it, which is the whole thing in itself, right? It requires customers to do your job for free. Right. It, they're paying you. And as a bonus, you're letting them participate in the forum and do your support work. But my biggest beef with it is that it causes so much confusion. And we tried this too at 37 Signals. So we used to have answers.37signals.com where customers could talk to other customers and they could help each other with problems. And in theory, it's a a grand support utopia where everyone's happy and everyone's (laughs) sharing things. And you... When in practice, you realize why it's called a utopia. There's no way to to really make it work because customers, even in their best intentions, can can 
give bad information to other customers. So yeah. you've got a brand new customer who is looking in a, for the forum, looking for help in the forum, finding an answer, that answer being wrong, and they're not going to blame the other customer. They're going to blame you. Right. So right. it's just so much cleaner and so much easier to own that entire support process. I would rather see you have to spend four hours a day answering emails <laughs> than dealing with the crap that's going to come your way from customer-powered support forums. It's just not worth the headache in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I mostly agree. I think there's, uh, well, in my experience, there's one kind of exception, which is it can be useful, actually, I think, at a very, kind of at the very small scale you're talking about because Exactly because there's not a lot of other customers in there. So mm-hmm. when it's just essentially a public support ticket um, for customers who feel comfortable with being public about that, then and there's occasionally some uh, you know other customers might chime in a little bit here and there. But when it's primarily set up as people asking questions, support staff answering. And there's not a lot of additional customer interaction, then I think it can help, especially in a bootstrap type scenario where it's kind of creating some of that FAQ knowledge out there. It's creating some, uh, just from a marketing perspective, you know, uh, searchable content and things that you're not having to actively create. It's being uh, kind of naturally created. So mm-hmm. in that regard, I, I kind of like it, but definitely as it, if you get to the point where people are hanging out there, you know, I don't think that's a good, you know what I mean? Like, a, like a, yeah. what we would consider a good forum for like the discuss where people are hanging out there and people are staying right on top of it and they want to be f- chiming in and all that stuff. Like that's great for a community. It's definitely not great for, you know, pure customer service where you exactly, they're talking about an old version. They're just giving straight wrong information you get into when you just get a large community, you have fights on there and stuff like that. So now you're who moderates, right? Right. You're moderating this like world, this whole <laughs> ecosystem there that you don't really want to be make that your job to do that. So it gets ugly. So like yeah, in general, I think that once you get to that stage, it's probably not not really worth the hassle there. I but it's one of those things too. Well, I was just going to say, it's like one of those things that the utopia idea of it, like you said, where mm-hmm. it's like get satisfaction. Like they were big for a while because you were never going to have to do support again because mm-hmm. your customers would just do it and it would all be great and wonderful. But, so they're going to give you, know. you a unicorn over a rainbow. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the one area that I bend on my no forums rule when it comes to support is a form that allows customers to show other customers how they're using your app, right? So, you know, Andre, you were mentioning earlier with UberDeck, you want to see how people are using it. So it's a good idea to give them a space to show off and say, hey, this is what I built with your product. This is the project I managed with Basecamp. This is the app that I use UberDeck for. This is the, the situation where Snappy really saved my app. Can I say ass? I don't know. Um, oh, save my butt. Um, <laughs> sorry. Save my butt. And, uh, and, and, you know, really showed why I needed to use Snappy. When you've got customers sharing their stories of how your product helped them be better, that's a great forum because other customers can go there and go, oh, wow, I never thought about using it that way, but it makes total sense. Yeah. And they can have a conversation about that. 
leave the forums for that kind of thing and keep your, your support questions, your I need help questions in email or, or whatever other channel you want to use. Right, right. Well, uh, we've got to wrap up, I think. We're all an hour and a half in. Oh, stop it. We got all night. <laughs> wow, this is three fine. times as long as my shows. <laughs> we go long on here. People, people get mad if we don't like at least hit like an hour and 20 minutes. Oh, um, it's just one of those uh, hypercritical where if he didn't go like two hours, something was wrong. Right, exactly. Something's wrong, something's wrong. <laughs> well, I, I, have, I have at least one more question, and then Chase, mm-hmm. if you have any other questions. But, uh, and I think I, I know your answer to this, but I'm still kind of curious. So, um, there's a few companies that have popped up in recent years that are specifically providing the service of completely taking over your customer support for SaaS apps. Um, I guess I'd be curious. So they're going to be your front line and they're this external organization. And then presumably there's some back channel where there's some interaction there. But, uh, as I've seen this a few times here, I mean, there's one that's been around for a while, and I've seen a couple of uh, newer ones. Kind of curious what your what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, you know, customer support is kind of finding its niche um, uh, this year and a little bit last year, and that kind of thing. So people are looking at and going, "How can I make some money uh, doing customer support for my company and other companies and all that?" Uh, so right. that's kind of why you're seeing this explosion of these cons- support console. Uh, I don't know, support consultations or whatever you want to call them, right? Right. <laughs> um, Sherlock calls himself a consulting detective. This would be like a consulting support rep. Right. Uh, and uh, mixed reviews overall. Um, you know, when you're in a bind, if uh, you know you've you've got more customers with more questions than than you can handle, bringing in somebody to help with uh, that customer support. Maybe it's on a limited time, you know, maybe for a couple of weeks or a month or so until you get a help page, a help site built out to help with all this kind of stuff. That makes sense. Uh, you know, you've got to look at your company and go, is this something that I'm comfortable doing? Am I comfortable turning over my customer experience to this company? Um, how well do I know that company? How well do I trust the people that work at that company? Um, that kind of thing. It's kind of like, uh, hiring a babysitter for your kids, you know, you wouldn't trust that to anybody. There are great right. babysitters out there um, that are doing great stuff and you would hire in a heartbeat. But then there are some babysitters that you don't let near your dog, much less your kids. Right. That's kind of how these uh, consulting support companies are. Some of them are really fantastic. They, they do great work. Um, you know, the one, when people usually ask me about it, I say, go see Sarah Hatter over at cosupport.us. Um, right. They're doing a fantastic job. If you remember the app Mailbox, you know, the one that we all had to wait in line for, which was kind of weird. Yep. But uh, their support was pretty pretty spot on. She helped them get through that initial rush of customers as they kind of blew up on the scene and, and you know, still maintain a high level of customer support, uh, all while doing it as a consulting kind of kind of gig. They're, you know, that co-support is great. Some of the other ones that I've seen are just horrible it's the people that you wouldn't trust with your dog to babysit. So you're smart. You've built an app so far. You're going to know who you can trust with it. Plus if you have support, sorry to interrupt, but if you have support in house where the support team is so loyal to the company and so loyal to the product, you get the kind of proactive support team that, you know, goes out and finds the science project and sends the gift to the (laughs) customer. You're not going to get that from uh, like outside of the company type of co-support or outsourced support. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, 
I like the idea better in terms of like a SWAT team that comes in for when you're in some type of weird situation, like a million people like in one day decide that they're coming to download your app from some freak mm-hmm. event, um, as opposed to just like this is our long term solution for support is just outsourcing it in that way. Uh, but I I, had to, I used to think it was totally insane and ridiculous. And now that I have my own SaaS app, I can understand at least the concept of where, like, the support is not so intense and doesn't require the level of technical skill to kind of dig into things that uh, the on-premise app world does. So I could see Mm -hmm. that temptation to say, okay, like, I could train this outside company to do it and, you know, they would be able to do at least a sufficient job with it or whatever, like – probably not as good as if we do it ourselves, but then we don't have to worry about it. Okay. So I could kind of see that aspect to it. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be something we would do of course, but uh, I mean, I could, I guess I see the allure more than I used to in the past or at least the possibility, mm-hmm. but I still think there's so much you're going to lose in terms of that. Like the, the more subtler information that's passed along than what could be passed along in just like a weekly report or anything like that um or even yeah. individual ones that are kind of escalated to out of the bigger context of things so uh but but yeah it's been coming up on the radar a bit more so uh mm-hmm. kind of figure we'd cover it since people are doing more of that right from the early stages yeah you know personally it's one of those where if uber deck blows up and and ends up on the the front page of uh some big news site or something like that and you get a million people at your door knocking go out and, and find one of these well, like you put it, these SWAT team kind of things right? where they come in and help for a bit when we launched the new Basecamp we were dealing with seven to 800 emails a day mm-hmm. and yeah. it was one of those where if we didn't have the rest of the company to bring in to help with that mm-hmm. we wouldn't have survived so because we were big enough to, to say hey designers and programmers and, and right. even Jason <laughs> and, and David we were like hey you need to help us answer emails because we're just we're dying we're 24 hours behind right now and the queue is uh. still 500 Deep, so come help us. Uh, if we didn't have those resources, then we would have had to turn to some kind of outside uh, consulting company just to maintain that that support experience. So, um, you know, like you said, SWAT teams they're, they're pretty great for. But for I guess using the same analogy, if you want like really great bodyguards, you want to hire them. Right. I, you know, I guess that's close. Yeah, I like that. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, uh, anything else, Chase, that you wanted to cover that we uh, that we missed? Man, I'm solid. My listeners are going to be like an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to come to expect that every week. Yeah, they're going to be like, he's got to go on with those bootstrap guys every time now. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Chase, it's was really great of- having you on. I'm glad uh, glad you came up with the idea to to come on, and glad we're going to be able to distribute this to to your uh, listeners as well. So it's going to be really cool. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun and one of those where I'm glad I get to work with awesome people like you guys that would just be like, sure, let's do this. Yeah, it's really it's really uh the podcast has been great. I mean, like uh, you know, we just started not long ago. You've had support ops um longer, I'm pretty sure, and uh it's uh it's really cool a little kind of community and the ability to just to have these really interesting discussions with really interesting people who um you otherwise, you know, wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to talk to. So it's been great. Yeah, I will make a a uh, shameless self plug here. Do it if you uh, if you like customer support and you want to hear about it from some of the best customer support pros out there. Every Monday at six thirty p.m. Eastern, five thirty p.m. Central, we run a live Google Hangout where um, support reps from WordPress, Buffer, 
and Wistia, along with myself, come together and we just talk about support. So check it out, supportops.co forward slash hangout. We'll get you over there every Monday, 6.30 Eastern. Live. Ooh. Live. Google God, Hangouts I'm... are fantastic for live stuff. We, we, yeah. we, can't, we can't do a live show because <laughs> I'm, I'm not a real person. I'm just a figment of Ian's imagination. <laughs> <laughs> alter ego. We edit, we edit in my alter ego later. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I've been a guest on that show. And you it's have? really cool. Yeah, it's a video. So it's, it's, it does add a different dimension to have the video there. It's kind of interesting to be able to you know, see people's faces and have more of a face-to-face discussion. So that part's pretty cool. Yeah, we've got a discussion on hiring coming up in a couple of weeks. So especially as a bootstrap uh, company, you know, and you're hiring your first customer support rep, it's something you want to pay attention to. Yeah, and, and support rep is usually one of the very first things that you, uh, you do hire when you kind of get out of that just the founder stage. That's usually kind of the first logical step, um, that or, or a developer, but pretty often yeah. it's the support person. So you look at no, your email definitely. and go, do I really want to waste, not waste, but do I really want four hours to consume every day? Right, as a founder, exactly. and the answer is no, you don't. Right, and that's and you know you can you know you can train somebody up on that and uh, and and everything. So and it's also you know generally speaking not as expensive as a, a developer. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of factors that go into that. You know you can still kill yourself on your your time earning nothing, uh, paying yourself nothing extra to be the developer. So there's uh, the business business aspects there too, um, which is unfortunate. I don't like that, but. I guess that's the way it is. Um, okay. Well, it was really great having you on, Chase. Uh, again, like he said, supportops.co. And, uh, of course, you all know 37signals. They don't need any more plugs from me. <laughs> and uh, so for Andre and Uberdeck, make sure you check out Uberdeck at uberdeck.com. And yep. uh, I'm Ian from Userscape. And thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>